Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast. We dive deep into the stories of the best entrepreneurs in the world. We talk about the journey, pull out wisdom, education, inspiration from these incredible movers and shakers. Today I'm talking to Without doubt, the best sales trainer in the world, Mr. Peter Lakovic, who's been responsible for generating over $2 billion of sales for his clients across the journey. He's an incredible entrepreneur that's had businesses, helped the entourage grow their business. He's an inspiring entrepreneur, and I'm super excited because this episode is a highly educational episodes. If you're looking to improve your sales skills, you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode with Peter Lakovic. Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of the One Shop Movement podcast. It's all about inspiration, education, diving deep into the stories of incredible entrepreneurs, people that have been on amazing journeys of success, had their rises and falls, their hard hits along the way. But this episode, I'm super excited because I'm going to be interviewing one of my good friends, Mr. Peter Lakovic, who without doubt is the number one go-to sales guy in Australia who's helped companies sell over $2 billion worth of sales. Um, I did a workshop with him on sales and there's so much value. He's been an inspiration to me, not only in selling, but other skills. He's sharpened my sword in presentation skills, understanding more about the psychology and NLP. So Peter Lakovic's going to be joining us today and just want him to start off by sharing a bit of back story go far as far back as you want to your very first business about your journey to success Craig thanks so much for that kind introduction it's uh, great to be here I'm looking forward to spending a, a having a good conversation with you and going through um, uh, the journey that I've been on and if it can impart some knowledge on, along the way then I'm super pumped about that so yeah listen my background um, mate I can go all the way back uh, it's <clears throat> it's interesting you see a lot of people today have the um, the hard luck story, you know, I was destitute and broke and uh, came from nowhere to rise up through the ashes. And I don't really have that story. Um, I, you know, I'm quite fortunate. Um, I grew up in business with mum and dad. So dad came to Australia with, you know, suitcase and couldn't really speak English when he was 24, 25. And um, mum came here from journey, Germany where her, her, my grandparents, uh, left uh, the war over there and, and found their way to Australia when she was two and she was a, a receptionist in accountancy practice and dad was driving uh, taxis at night and cement trucks during the day because that's pretty much one of the only things he didn't need an education for and didn't really have to speak a lot of English about as well. So, um, but they, they got into, into family businesses being the good old uh, the wog background, as you can call it back in those days. Uh, they bought the corner deli and had a, had a deli. And um, I kind of grew up in the deli with, with mum and dad from the age of about eight or nine years of age. Um, my brother was, uh, what, he's about 18 months older than I am. So he was, you know, he was probably 10 and a bit. I was eight and a bit. And um, we spent most of our life in the deli um, and learning from mum and dad. In, now I look back, you know, Steve Jobs says you can only ever connect the dots going backwards. You can never connect the dots going forward. But I look back at my time and... Um, they had, they, had the, they had the deli, then they had another deli, they had a coffee shop, and they had a fish and chip shop. And so I kind of grew up in that business. And I, I remember 
now I can look at all the, the some of the skills that I even use today that I learned from my dad in the 70s um, and the 80s running businesses. So literally to the fact that one day dad came home and he said, we bought the fish and chip shop next door. So we had a deli and then next door was the fish and chip shop. And that was like Christmas for us. I think I was about nine and a half at that stage. And because back in the seventies, fish and chip shops were like McDonald's are today. It's like pretty special outing to go out to. And um, so it, dad built it up really, really quickly to the extent that um, one day, probably about a month later, Mum had to go and help dad in the fish and chip shop. So it was about, you know, fish and chip shop open about five thirty, six o'clock at night and seven o'clock dad with mum had to go help dad in the fish and chip shop. So you had me who was about nine and a half, my brother who was about 11 uh, running the deli while mum and dad were running the fish and chip shop next door. Um, and then dad, and then Alex had to go next door and help mum uh, get some more chips. Cause back in those days, you never had chips frozen out of a packet, right? You'd buy potatoes, you'd peel them, you put them on this machine he'd jump up and lift his weight on his lever to put the potato through the blades to cut the chips because they ran out of chips. So you had this nine and a half year old kid running the deli. You had a, a 10, 11 year old kid cutting fish and chips in the back and mum and dad running the fish and chip shop. And that's just what you did. Right. Um, I think now they call that child labor back then they call that love. <laughs> um, you know, we didn't get paid pocket money and stuff like that in those days. So yeah, you know, I, I put a roof on your head. I put clothes on your back. I put food on the table. You will work. Um, and that's kind of the mentality. So, yeah, we, I grew up in, in small business with mum and dad through all the way through to my teens. Um, and I think through osmosis, a lot, I learned a lot from mum and dad in that capacity, even, you know, upselling and cross-selling and, you know, mum and dad used to bundle, you know, a, a burger, a sausage roll and a pie with, with a drink. And you know, we had meal deals before McDonald's probably had meal deals. And um, yeah, it was always the way that the shop was set up was, you know, mum and dad will put stuff on the shelf because if you thought of one thing, the next thing next to it made you want to buy that and the next thing next to it. So there's a system and a structure to everything. So I didn't know it back then, but it was just, um, I learned a lot so much through that capacity. Then I had to, I wanted to get pocket money, right? I wanted to buy a Walkman. Um, I wanted to buy my cassette tapes. This shows you how old this was a long time ago. And um, so I got a job at the corner deli down the road from our place. So I could actually get some pocket money. And I remember going into that shop and looking at it and going, it was just a mess. Everything was everywhere and the, the cool room was non-functional. Functional. It wasn't efficient and there was just stock on the shelves just out of place. And so that weekend, I just went reorganized the whole shop and I went in after school on the, on the Tuesday. So I usually worked on weekends. And the manager goes, Pete, can you just come around the back? He goes, what did you do to the shop yesterday? I went, well, I thought I was in trouble. He goes, like, everything's different. I went, oh, I just thought it'd be easier this way. He goes, it is. I can put, put more stock in the fridge and it's easy to, to pull the crates out and, and everything's like in order. And what made you do that? And I didn't know any different. I just did what my parents had did. And, um, you know, takings went up and sales went up and um, it was interesting. So that was kind of my introduction into business is just working in mum and dad's business, learning a lot from men and then applying that to another business, which I didn't know any different. I just did what I thought was the right way to do it. And it, it was a very efficient way. So there was a, a subconscious system of growth pattern building in my, in my brain, in my subconscious brain. Um, and then I, I went to, I got into university um, pretty much because I was meant to go to university. Um, you know, I think as a parent, now that I'm a parent, I think what you want for your children is what you never had. And what my parents never had was an education. So it was all about, go to uni, go to uni, go to uni, go to uni. So I, I did year 12 and I, I failed year 12. I didn't get into university. Um, 
and I was at overseas with parents on a, with a trip um, down back to my parents' uh, motherland. And you know, my uncle looked at my report and sent a, a phone call and saying I didn't get in. So I repeated year 12 um, and tried it again. And uh, second time in, I failed again, didn't get into university. Second time in year 12. Actually, not a lot of people know this. Um, so I couldn't, I didn't have the courage to tell mum and dad that, especially dad, that I didn't get into year 12 again. So I didn't know what to do. So I rang the university and, you know, asked, you know, could I speak to someone about what, what could I do? And I said, well, what score did you get? And I told them the score. And it's like, well, you didn't get a good enough grade. I said, surely I can speak to somebody. You know, so I had to organise a meeting with a dean. So I had a meeting with a dean, went to university and sold myself into uni. So I got into uni without passing the qualification for the course to get into university um, and got into uni. I then told dad that I actually got into uni. I remember, I remember distinctly the day they had a deli in Perth in Stirling and um, I, I came home from seeing the dean and dad goes, what happened? I said, oh, I just went to university. He goes, why? And I said, oh, I, I got into uni. I didn't tell him how I got in. I didn't tell him why I got in. I just told him I got in. And he literally, like, our whole family is pretty much six foot tall. You know, we're all, we're all the same height. And he hugged me so hard. It was like he was a bear and I was a rabbit. I felt so tiny. And I could feel the importance it was for him. That was the first Lakovich in the history of any generation of Lakoviches to get into university. I think for him, it was like, I've, I've done good. You know, my, my son's in uni, my job's done. He's going to have an education. He's going to have a job to fall back on. Um, and it was probably, I would say to that day, probably the proudest day of his life when it comes to us as growing children. Um, little did he know that two years later, I'd be the first language to drop out of university. <laughs> so, fair to say, I didn't get the same uh, adulation when I, when I did that. But um, yeah, I dropped out because uni just wasn't, I just wasn't, I was there because I was meant to be there. It wasn't, I don't think it was part of, uh, I met some great friends there, but it wasn't part of my my business path going forward. Um, so I, I dropped out, didn't tell mum and dad I dropped out, I got a job uh, in a health club um, selling memberships. And uh, two and a half weeks later, I got promoted to sales manager. Two weeks later, I got promoted to manager. So I was like 20 something, uh, 20, 20, nearly 20 on, uh, probably 20 at this stage. And I was uh, managing a business, uh, had 19 staff and had no idea what I was doing. I just knew when I spoke to people, they gave me money. So my theory was speak to more people, I'll get more money. Um, <laughs> but that's what happened in those days. You kind of just got promoted and got promoted and got promoted. And like, you know, when you're the salesperson and the sales manager leaves, they go, who's the best salesperson? Pete, so you become sales manager. Then the manager leaves and they go, who's the best salesman? Because it was a chain of three health clubs at this stage. Who's the best sales manager with the club that's doing the most revenue? Peter's club, okay, we'll make him the manager. So literally four and a half weeks in, I was managing my first business. And that's kind of how I got into to business. And we, um, I was very good at, at my, at making sales myself. Like literally I was hitting twice the targets. You know, there was three health clubs, four health clubs. Um, there was probably 16 salespeople. I was number one. Number two was doing 50% less than I was doing sales. Um, I just knew a subconscious way to deliver the information to someone so they'd want to buy I never felt, I never felt salesy. Then I got promoted to manager. I, I wasn't good at replicating that. And I remember getting my first kick up the ass and getting um, like a verbal warning because I went on a holiday while I was away. The sales had dropped, completely dropped. Mm. And um, I came back pretty happy that the sales were bad, right? Because this three-letter word called ego kicked in. 
<laughs> it felt, made me feel needed. You know, I was away and I was looking at the stats while I was away and sales were plummeting and I was expecting the, the red carpet, you know, the knight on a shiny armour and a white horse rides in to save the day. And um, I remember coming back on that Monday and uh, I had a sales meeting organised at 7.30 in the morning and I was got in early, had the croissants and the juices and all that set up and I had a marketing plan and I had a sales plan. I had some training organised and um, at about 6.40, um, that one of the owners, uh, Sean McKay, bring me and goes, Pete, um, how was your holiday? I was like, good. Sorry to call you early. I said, it's okay. I'm morning at the gym. I'm set up, ready to go. I got a meeting this morning. He goes, yeah, the figures were bad while you're away. I said, yeah, they were bad. He goes, this, I'm around the corner. I might drop in and have a chat. I said, yeah, no worries. So he comes in and we sit down and have a chat, you know, a bit of small talk for five, 10 minutes. How's your holiday? Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, so what happened while you're away? And I went, uh, mate, uh, figures were down, but it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm back. You know, I've got a sales plan. I've got a meeting this morning. You can see I've got a meeting organized. Yeah, I can see I've got a meeting organized, but why? You know, I said, don't worry about it, Sean. It, I'll, I'll, within a week, I'll get things back on track. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I said, no, Sean, you don't understand. I'm back. It's okay. I'll get it fixed. He goes, no, no, you don't get it. I said, no, Sean, you don't get it. He goes, no, Pete, I can't promote you and I can't approve any more holidays for you. <laughs> and it was like a snap kick to the head. Because the video I played in my head was, oh, Pete, you know, so glad that you're back. You know, I'm sure you get everything sorted. Well, he went the other tack. He goes, he looked at me, could see I was stunned. He goes, you don't get it. You're not here. I can't make money. So I can't not have you here. So I can't approve any more leave. I can't promote you until you sort your shit out. <laughs> sort it out. And he just left. And I was like, oh, my God, this is not the story that was playing in my head. <laughs> So I sat there in silence about 10 or 15 minutes. And that's when I realized I didn't have any systems or structure for anything. I, I knew in my head, I had an intuitive way of doing it, but I had nothing I could impart in others to scale my knowledge. So I used to dissect every presentation I ever did. I had a, a presentation, a folder, a, like a Spiralex, yellow Spiralex notebook. I don't know if you remember those. And I drew a line down the middle of the page and every presentation I did, I'd write down something that worked and something that didn't work. On the left-hand side, what didn't work very well. On the right-hand side, what did work very well. And I would always stop doing what didn't work and I would amplify and repeat what did work. And I went through all my old notebooks and I started systemizing what I did and started creating processes for it. Then I started training my team. And all of a sudden, my team could hit target without me because literally if you're behind target, I would take a lead and inquiry, a phone inquiry, a walk-in inquiry, and I would make the sale. I'd give the commission to my team, right? But I would make the sale because I knew I could close 98% of all leads. Um, and that's where my business wasn't scalable. So I created a system, trained my team. They become super successful. I then started becoming an area manager. I looked after two or three clubs. We got to five. We struggled again because it, I'd be in two or three clubs at once. We'd make money, but I wouldn't be the other two. So I would lose money. We had this, this imbalance happening. So I had to learn how to scale at even greater level until I could train everybody without me needing to be there and train people to train other people. And once I could do that, and then they gave me a piece of the business and we grew from the time it took us to get to 15 to five businesses um, was double the time it took us to get from five to 15. Hmm. You know, we, it took us half the time to get from five to 15 health clubs because we have the system, the process and the structure. Um, yeah. So that's where I kind of cut my teeth for many, many years is learning the marketing, the sales, the operations, the finance, the people skills, the leadership skills, the cultural skills by growing chains of businesses, managing hundreds of people. Um, until I went out and then I started my consultancy business um, where I'd, I'd train other people in the fitness industry to run their business because there's a lot of people who are good at the technician stuff, you know, good at being a personal trainer or good at the fitness stuff, but not good at business. 
Um, and then in 2005, I co-founded Australia's first national sales academy. We learned to get a, a sales education. And that's where I met um, a guy called Jack Deloso, who became a, a business partner of mine in the Entourage. Um, and yeah, since then, we've been buying up the Entourage since about 2012 to kind of what it is today. So probably a long-winded, short yeah. story, long story version of, of my life. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the backstory. that has got me to where I am. Oh, look, I mean... That, that, that is a really important point. Like if you had to unpackage someone's story and you said joining the dots back, like I often reflect now and join the dots back and mm. uh, I think about um, consciously um, things that have happened along the journey where you think it's bad at the time and it's, it hasn't happened to you, it's happened for you. And like, you know, you can sort of see your... Mm path to where you are now and we'll talk a little bit more about you know uh the present time and journey because there's extra chapter on top of that that i want to talk to you about as well but yeah look there's so much in there and and i guess sometimes you talk about dropping out of university you talk about um you know i got the impression out of a lot of that you just did it anyway and that's what, you know, a big powerful message that people need to understand is, you know, um, Peter was talking about, you know, didn't really have that formal education. He went into that fish and chips shop and re, you know, packaged it like his mum and dad's and it worked. And, you know, when he went into the sales business, he worked out that he was good at sales. And then it was about scaling and training people and helping people um, duplicate what he's already done. And that's one of the keys to success is leverage and duplication. And, um, you know, your journey has been building incredibly well. Um, in regards to the entourage, you know, that there uh, for you, you know, you've you had a, you know, incredible business, but also challenges along that journey. You wore a few hats from CEO to, you know, really high-level sales training in there. Do you want to share a bit about your journey with the entourage? Yeah, it's probably been the, probably one of the biggest game-changing journeys I've ever been on. Um, you know, running a, quite a successful business in the, um, in the National Sales Academy and a, and a consultancy business uh, prior to that. Um, but I wanted to grow faster and I wanted to, I wanted to get to where I wanted to be quicker. And I was a big fish in a small pond in, in my previous businesses. And I wanted to, to really challenge and stretch myself and have a bit more control over what I was doing. So when I met Jack and, you know, we were um, quite aligned with, you know, values and goals and what we wanted to achieve and um, partnering up and, and joining the entourage was probably the, the best decision I've ever made in my life. And the fact that, you know, I was going back to, you know, I think there was four people in the business when I first started and um, we were in a shared office space and our office space was probably, I don't know, eight square metres. It was tiny. Um, but we were doing the work of 20 people and we're, we're, the, we're, the results we're achieving were, were amazing. And um, So it, it taught me culture. It taught me values. Um, from day one, the first value I took into the business was, was make it happen. It's funny you talk about my history. If I look back at connecting the dots, it was just about making decisions and making it happen and um, opening one door before you can figure out what's behind the second door and not letting procrastination get in the way. And, and our first value was, was make it happen, make it happen to help each other, make it happen to help, make it happen to help the community, just, just get shit done. Um, and we, we grew, you know, very, very quickly. We, we did wear all the hats. I remember there was a stage there where, you know, Jack and I were on a national tour in six different states, literally on a Saturday we'd be in, in Brisbane 
and Saturday and a Sunday. We'd, we'd fly Sunday night to Melbourne. We'd be in Melbourne on Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. Um, we'd fly out Tuesday night to Adelaide. We'd be in there on Thursday, Friday. Um, we did this tour and we'd be at the front doing registrations. Um, Jack would have to go on stage. I'd quickly put a sign up at the front door, do an introduction. Uh, Jack would work the music while he walked up to the stage. I'd run to the back of the room to the music off. I'd go back to the front, do registrations. Um, it was just, we just wore all the hats, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way because, you know, we, we sat there and we can literally, every role in the company, we've pretty much done in some way, shape or form. Now, I'm not saying we did it well, but we did it to the best of our capability. So we understand every seat that every team member is ever going through. Um, and I wouldn't change that for the world because it, it made us understand our community better. It made us understand the market better. It, it made us more resilient. Um, it, it enabled us to make decisions that and made us stronger and more resilient for the times that were going to come ahead. Because what, we underst- what I understand now is you're always going to come up with challenges in life. You know, challenges in life are always, always going to be there. No matter, whenever you get over one hurdle, and you get over it because challenges make you more resilient, make you bigger, they make you stronger, so you can fight a bigger battle. But when you get to that next bigger battle, you're just going to have a bigger challenge. You're going to have a bigger problem. And until you overcome that, that's what builds your resilience. So then you overcome that mountain and you're stronger and you think, wow, what was challenging before is a piece of cake. But then you're, then you're climbing a bigger mountain and the challenges get bigger and bigger. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've got from the entourage is because we're a fast growth organisation, because we're so obsessed about helping as many people as we can in a quicker time frame, our challenges keep getting bigger and bigger, but it builds more resilience and enables us to do what we do in the way that we can. And I think it's probably the biggest lesson is being around someone like Jack, who I've never met an individual or spent time with an individual who's grown so much in a short period of time. You know, you have people that have 20 years experience, but really they've had one year experience 20 times. Mm. where in the entourage, I feel that, you know, we, we have experienced two or three years experience in one year, every year. So we may have only been around for nine and a half years coming into our 10th year, but it's like we've done like in 30 years, what most we've done in 10 years, what most businesses do in 30. Mm. Um, and it's been, yeah, it's been amazing. It's been one of the most challenging, uh, most rewarding, um, most successful times of, of my life, no doubt. Mm. And I, look, I've been um, one of you know, the last three years, one of your clients and spent a lot of time around both yourself and Jack. And, you know, I guess, um, you know, always talk about the, you know, you'll grow to the, some of the people you spend the most time with. And I've mm. looked at myself um, as an entrepreneur that was doing incredibly well in business. And, um, you know, it's a, probably not for this episode, but a, quite a bizarre um, I was watching Jack, um, I'd been to one of his events when they first started, but watching Jack grow and I started watching how he was showing up online and then I was in the Philippines running events there, just about to go on tour um, to India and, um, you know, I'm like, going, if this Jack DeLosa guy is showing up on my Facebook so much all the time, imagine what will happen if I show up all around the world to people. Yeah. So I was in my mind, I'm going, I want to go and find out what these guys are all about. And then um, uh, for whatever reason, my visa didn't work to get into India. I, I lost a lot of money on that tour. And the next day I'm in Australia kicking myself for what I'd just done. And in my inbox is an event to go and see Peter Lakovic do a one-day sales train in Melbourne. So I said, oh, I said to myself two days ago that I will go to one of their events one day. And 
Uh, we uh, connected there. We were friends online because I remember you talking about you'd seen that me put that journey um, post up. I remember that succinctly, yep. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I said to you when you did a really, really soft pitch to a, you know, a, a reasonable, you're not expecting to turn up to an event and spend the best part of $15,000 up front to join um, the entourage community. Um, but by lunchtime, I knew the value that I got out of that. I said that, you know, I'm going to rise to a higher level as an entrepreneur. And since then, we've uh, spent time in Hawaii together. I've spent yep. a lot of time with Jack and Peter. And yeah, that's a really important thing if you're on the journey is to surround yourself with higher quality people and, you, you know, your skills, your mindset, your growth, your bank balance will grow as well. Uh, do you want to add any more to that, Peter? Oh, I, I think, you know, going back to connecting the dots, since I was four, I played sport. Um, my dad used to coach a men's soccer team and I went to watch some soccer and I joined the under sixes, I think, when I was four years of age. And, um, you know, I had a coach. And I, and I went up and played state football and state league. And um, I remember when I was uh, six, we started a swimming club and I had a swimming coach. Um, I did uh, tennis at the age of nine. I did athletics at eight. And we used to go for little training. I had a little athletics coach. And then I played tennis at, you know, 10 or 11. I had a tennis coach and um, basketball and I had a basketball coach. And I did martial arts um, when I was about 15. And I had a, a sensei who was my coach. I even did breakdancing lessons. I had a breakdancing coach. Um, so all, all I know is if you want to be great, you need a coach. Like I, I just, I don't understand people who don't surround themselves with people that are better than them, right? It's, you know, walking the footsteps of those that have come before you because there's a formula for everything. So my, my brain, I just, I, my whole life is whenever I've had success is because I've surrounded myself with people who've been there, done that experience. It's just, it's held me in good stead in, you know, I, I represented Australia in, in, in gridiron, American football, a bit of a weird sport. Um, but I had great coaches around me um, that make me better. And I obsessed about, you know, Muhammad Ali said, training should be the hardest thing you ever do. You know, fight night's easy. Um, you don't get paid for the one round knockout. You get paid for the months of years of training you've done before then. Mm. You know, the, the harder you train, the luckier you get. So I just think surrounding yourself and being obsessed about being around people that are where you want to be is the only way to succeed in life. And it's just a history of whenever I've plateaued in my life, whenever I've uh, had, a, had a lull, it's usually when I've been at the top of the tree and haven't had people around me to help guide me or to be a sounding board. And I've had to make those mistakes myself, which has cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars and probably years of my life. So now it's about what can you do to make sure that you are always growing? Because if you're not growing, you're going backwards. Yeah. A hundred percent. And because we are talking about education, growth and skills, and you're, in my opinion, the number one guy um, out there that's teaching sales, I want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about sales and just basic fundamentals, common mistakes you see people make, how can people get better, customer journey. Um, mm. Like if you, if you had a few minutes to talk a bit about sales and how to get better and growth, you know, obviously coaching and mentorship and working with someone like you is going to fast track it tenfold. But um, for our audience here, if, you know, we're talking about sales and value and growth, how would you, you know, do a, uh, you know, a bit for the audience? Um, well, Pandora's box. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, sales, sales is interesting, right? Because when you look at sales, most people see it as a four-letter word. 
you know, that I don't know many people that grew up wanting to be a salesperson. You know, mm. usually people get into business for two or three reasons, right? One is um, you see a gap in the market and you, you want to fill that gap, right? So you get into business um, and you know you need to sell to start selling that. Two, you start a business because um, you're sick of doing it for someone else and mm. you want to dictate your own term, terms, your own terms, your own terms, your own income. Um, and the third reason you usually start a business is that um, your previous boss maybe just pissed you off and they didn't listen to you and you think you can do it better. Mm. Um, but no one really grows up wanting to be a salesperson, right? Normally you're a good technician first, right? You're, you're good at a physio or a sparky or a chippy or a good accountant or you're good at something and you get into business. But, you know, there's almost nothing in business that can't be fixed by more sales. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's understanding people is the key aspect, right? I don't think sales is this big script where you can just learn a set of words and you'll be good at sales mm. um, because it's not always what you say, it's how you say it. And it's the perception you give to people right now and how people feel with the connection that you have. So I think you've got to understand the psyche of an individual or what drives them in their decision-making process. What are their buying motivators? And I don't think people take the time to We usually sell from a point of, I have a, a widget, I've a product and I want you, I want to sell it to you. And I've got to try to convince you that this is the right thing for you. And I think that's where sales has changed right now. I think what we need to focus on is how can I create a buying mindset in my consumer, not a selling mindset in me or my team. Mm. It's how can I get Craig Schultz to want to buy this mobile phone? Because when you buy it, you're buying it for the right reasons instead of me convincing you that you need to have it, which is really old school selling. So I think the first important thing with sales, it's, it's the mindset shift of what are you trying to do? How is what your product does? How does it help? How does it enable? Um, what's going to be the driving motivator in that individual? So if you don't know the buying patterns of your customer, if you don't understand their buying motivators, you've got no chance in making a sale. Now you can learn the closing scripts and, but you know, that becomes very pushy old school eighties and nineties selling. I think in today's marketplace, um, the consumer is smarter. It's a noisier marketplace. They're getting sold to, from social media, through emails, through telephone cold calling. Um, also, the, the, the marketing, the, the hit that you get from marketing today far outweighs any opportunity you had in the past. So it's a noisy marketplace out there. So how do you stand out in that noisy marketplace? So people are getting hit every day to buy, buy, buy. So you can't sell the old school ways of trying to convince people. Um, so I think the first set is understanding that what you do is enabling someone's life. Like I have no problems cold calling someone. I have no problems speaking, getting on stage in front of 1500 people and talking about what I do. Um, and it doesn't come across salesy because I know in my heart of hearts that when I get hold of you, your life will change. Now mm. it might be easy for me to say that because I have literally every week I'll get a, a case study, a testimonial, Facebook message, an email, a gift in the mail saying, thank you, Pete, because my sales have grown, my business has grown, you've changed my life, I've got more time with my family, I've been able to hire salespeople, I've grown the business. So I have this video in my head, when I get hold of you, I know what will work. And I know I can change your perspective on how you can generate more income for yourself. But it's a mindset shift for me. So I think, I, I think it's your gift that I'm talking to you right now. Mm. If you're a customer and I'm speaking to you in sales. So I don't think it comes across I'm trying to sell you anything. I'm so passionate about what I have and how I can help you. So I call this the doctor's mindset, right? So if you go to a doctor, a doctor is sitting there going, okay, Craig, 
what's wrong? Where does it hurt? How long has it been hurting for? What have you been doing? What have you been eating? And they, they, they ask you questions that help them make the best diagnosis you can in the world. Mm. And the more questions you ask me that I see relevance in, that the more trust I give in you, the more credibility I have. So then you, I know you're making a better diagnosis. The biggest mistake people make in sales is they think the prescription is the biggest solution. Like your prescription. Prescription is the easy part, right? Diagnosis is the hardest part possible. I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show House. Mm. If you haven't, Google the word house, right? He's, he's, a, he's a doctor with a team of uh, three and he gets patients where no one else knows what's wrong with them. They're literally on close to their deathbed. No one can figure out what's wrong with them. Now, he's rude. He's arrogant. He's misogynist. He's sexist. He's racist. Like, he's just crude. And I think that's what makes his personality. But what he does, he asks the hard questions to get to the root of the problem, to diagnose the problem. The prescription is the easy part, but diagnosing the right problem. And when people feel like you really want to try to understand what their biggest challenges are, what their problems are, what their goals and what their desires are, and there's relevance in those questions, then that creates a buying mindset in your customer. I think that's where people go wrong. They, they don't, you know, I've learned from my wife, who's also very, one of the most successful sales and marketing people I know, um, is that she can get people to tell her the deepest, darkest secrets within five minutes quicker than I know anyone else can. Mm. She has this uncanny knack to make people feel comfortable, ask these questions, which everyone else feels embarrassed to ask, but she has no problems going there. And she creates this deeper connection with people. So I think having this doctor's mindset about, diagnosis is the most powerful thing possible mm. and, and putting that into perspective. And I think the second most powerful thing would be as much as I, I don't believe in scripts, you need a process, you need a structure, you need to reverse engineer what success looks like in the sales process, how people like to buy, you need to put structure and frameworks around it. You need to have models and you need to know it's what I call OBT. So we, we, we live in a, task-based mentality. I have a task list and I've got to do this and I've got to do these five things on my task and I've got, to, I've got to check these things off. But just because you do a task, it doesn't mean you achieve the outcome. Mm. I can give you a set of words and you can say them, but it doesn't mean you're going to achieve the outcome. You need to get a C-grade actor with a script and they're going to say the words, but it won't be a box office hit. But you get a Meryl Streep or a Robert De Niro and they say the same words and it's going to make gazillions of dollars. Because they know the impact they want those words to make on the audience. So I think we've, we've really got to understand that when it comes to sales, it's, it's, not, it's not always about the script. It's the models and the frameworks to achieve what I call outcome-based thinking. What is the outcome you want your customer to feel at this stage of the sales process? Are they feeling that right now? No, then you've got to continue that point. You can't skip it. You don't just say the script and move to the next stage and you have that script hasn't achieved an outcome have those questions elicited your buying motivators no well you can't just go to the next stage in the sales process because that's going to be the objection that's going to bite you in the butt at the end yeah i think yep. you, you've got to have a process and a structure to uncover the buying motivators and you've got to have a model and a framework to follow without that you're just winging it and you can be intuitive but then you'll go through what i went through and you can't teach that to other people therefore you can't scale and therefore the business is dependent on you Hmm. Last thing we want is key person dependency in life. Yeah. And we've say like, just for an example, to provide a bit of context, what would you say like around weight loss, for example, you've been in the fitness industry, I've been in the fitness industry. Mm -hmm. If you were trying to get someone, you know, to, you know, those buying motivators or whatever, like what would you say questions that might 
be thought provoking to get them to think about weight loss, for example, like I put mm. you on the spot, but you know, you've been in. No, no, it's, I'm quite passionate about this. So, you know, in, in my sales accelerator program, it's a four week program. This is one of the biggest, when, when, what I share with you right now, the results that I get when I teach this one concept changes everything for people. Like literally I have a hundred percent success rate of people getting success within the, with, before the program finishes. Right. Um, and it's usually within the first week or two, they've, they've doubled or tripled their conversion rate. They've shortened their sales cycle. They've increased their average dollar per sale because of this one concept. And what I'm going to talk about now is more order and sequence and structure rather than exactly what to say. Because what, what I need you to understand is we tend to start a sales process with our icebreaker, right? We do this, what I call fake rapport. You know, say, Craig, if you inquired with me, maybe you, you reached out through a Facebook ad that I put out, a private message on Facebook, a, a landing page, a lead page, uh, an email inquiry, a website inquiry, right? You've reached out for some reason, okay? Um, and I'm calling you back or I'm emailing you back or I'm doing a Zoom call with you or something like that in the sales process. And most of the time you go, oh, Craig, how are you? So good to meet you. How are you? How's the weekend been? How's Christmas? We, we do all this conversation where the customer knows, like, I don't know you yet. So you're asking me these, you know, how's Christmas and New Year? I, I'm all for building rapport, but, you know, the, the customer today, they know that you're just doing an icebreaker. They know that you're just building rapport. And then once you build rapport, you go to the next stage. So what I don't do anymore is I don't do the fake rapport. The first step of any sales process is introduction. In my introduction, I, I want to cut to the chase. I think you've inquired with me for a reason. And by avoiding that, by doing rapport, you're, you're eliminating, you're lowering the emotional level that someone actually has. Think about it in the fitness industry. If I mean, if I'm going to lose weight, what has to go in my head for me to reach out to you? I've got to look at your ad, look at your website, search, Google you in my lunch break, morning tea break. At the end of the day, once I put the kids to bed, I've got to go out of my way, cut through all the noise. I've then got to type in a message, click a button, pick up the phone, jump in my car, run to your studio, call you, whatever the lead source is. There's a lot of like emotional drivers that are going in. Like for me to say to you, I want to lose weight, Craig, it's almost like me going to AA. It's like, hi, my name's Peter. I'm I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my name's Peter. I'm unhappy with my body. There's a high emotional driver that's going to creating that lead. And we ignore that by following a sales process says, you know, build this rapport in a stereotypical way. So the first thing I'm going to suggest someone goes out there is if someone has sent you any type of lead or inquiry, the first thing you say is, Hey Craig, um, I've just got your insert lead source. I've just received your email, your private message. Um, you know, I've just got your phone call. I just saw you jumped on the website. Um, and I can see you've reached out. What's made you reach out today? Because when you reach out, who do you reach out to? You reach out to an expert. And what are you reaching out for? You're reaching out for help. So what it's actually doing is changing the paradigm that I'm not the salesperson chasing you. You're the customer chasing me. Mm. I call it the switch. We want to, we want to turn from chase er to chase E. Mm. Because that's the quickest way to lower buyer's resistance for somebody. You know, even if, we've, if you jumped onto the calendar and you book an appointment for me and it's copped up to my calendar and I need now to call you at 10 o'clock in the morning, um, I would say, hey, Craig, I, I can see you, you've, um, you've reached out. 
mate, um, are you ready to roll? You know, are you ready to go? Yeah, I am. Great. So, mate, what, before we start, what made you reach out? Mm. You'd be surprised how quickly people can tell you. They'll either tell you their lead source and then they tell you their, their driving motivator as to why. What was it about your lead magnet? What was it about your Facebook ad? What was it about your Google ad? What was it about the website? What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your heart? So the first thing I, I would do is get them to find out why someone reached out to start with because mm. that creates a deeper connection than any type of fake rapport will ever do. The second thing I would do is I wouldn't dig too deep too quickly. You know, I would ask two quick questions, um, usually a, a confirmation clarity-based question and a time-based question. So if, if I ask you, Craig, what made you reach out? You go, oh, Pete, I, I've been following for a while. I saw your ad and, um, you know, I'm looking at making some changes and, you know, I want the new year to be great. Okay, great. So when you say looking at making some changes, tell me more about that. So I'm asking you a, a, a clarity-based question. Mm. Right, so clarity-based questions earlier are really important, but I don't dig too deep because we don't have the rapport to go too deep. But I want to acknowledge why. The key here is to acknowledge what they want and acknowledge it quickly. That'll lower resistance and create greater connection. Hmm. Then I'll ask a time-based question, which would be great. And how long has this been going on for? How long have you thinking about it? How long have you feeling this way for? When did you have a goal? But like, I'm asking some sort of time-based question. If you get them in that mindset in the first minute or two, it lowers resistance enough for you to then set up the rest of the framework for what you want to do. So from there, I'll then go, okay, great. Because of that, let me tell you what we should do today. So now you're tailoring everything for them. Mm. And you need to set the framework up and tell people what to expect in the sales call. You know, two of the biggest fears in the world is fear of failure and fear of the unknown. When you don't know what to expect, what do you think? Do you think best case scenario or worst case scenario? Mm. And most people will say worst case scenario, right? Yeah. Um, so you need to do a really good frame up of, you know, Craig, because of what you've just shared with me, listen, this is what we're going to do today. And you take them through and you map out the sales process. First, we're going to do A, then we're going to do B, then we're going to get C, then we're going to do D. How does that sound? And in there, you tell them when they're going to make a decision. And if they accept the framework of what you're going to do, now you've, you've, you've mapped out the journey they're going to go through. They're happy to go through the journey, but they've made that decision. And they feel like it's personalized. They feel like it's tailored. Yeah. And with, um, and you, you, you mentioned right at the start about say objections, for example, you, it's not an objection. Um, what, how do you say it's not an objection? Yeah, objections are a funny thing, right? Cause we take objection as rejection. You know, we think if someone's taking this objection, they're rejecting us. And we usually wait until the end of the presentation. And then people giving the objection, you have to overcome it. So my, my mindset goes to it's, it's only an objection if they say it. If you say it, it's a conversation, hmm. right? It's only an objection if they say it. If you say it, it's a conversation. You know, I know in the fitness industry, I used to get a lot of people saying, you know, I want to think about it. Hmm. Yeah, it's a common thing. You know, I want to think about it. I, want to, I think about it. I want to think about it is using your screen. It's hiding, you know, money or they don't see high perceived value. It's their way to kind of buy more time. Hmm. So to stop people procrastinating, I bring that up so they can't. Because when you say, Craig, I want to I think about it, I go, oh, yeah, but it's like a tug of war, right? You're objecting, so you're pulling away. I say, yeah, but I'm trying to overcome it, so I'm pulling the other way. The more I pull, the more you want to pull back. Mm. And we've got this tug of war. And nobody wins a tug of war, right? Because one person always falls flat in the mud. So it's always win-lose. Mm. So for me, it's like if I know a lot of the time someone's going to give me the I want to think about it objection, I bring up that objection first because then it's just a conversation. So I might say to you, Craig, and I, 
that this is really important. If you're going to bring up an objection, which is the objections, let's face it, are usually quite logical, you've got to get someone out of the logical brain into the emotional brain. It's hard to fight logic with logic. It's like uh, a positive end of a magnet with a positive end of a magnet, they repel. Mm. Right? So it's like two rhinos fighting, I'll just butt heads. So what I'm going to do at a high peak of emotion, usually when you've elicited some sort of buying motivators, one of the goals you want to achieve, when you want to achieve them by, I will then ask a question like, Craig, mate, so it sounds like you want to trim tone, lean up, firm up, lose weight kilograms, a belt size, a dress size, whatever it is by this time frame. So I'm recapping their goals. <clears throat> mate, I'm just curious, how long have you been thinking about taking this step and doing this for? And just role play with me. How long have you been thinking about doing this for, Craig? Oh, all, all of 2019. All right. So for the last 12 months. Yep. Can I ask why have you been thinking about it for the last 12 months? Um, I'm just not happy at the moment. And every time I look into the mirror, I'm just, uh, you know, I'd say, look, I need to lose another bit of weight. Yeah. 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 It's quite common. A lot of people do that. So has 12 months, you know, in your mind, in your world, has 12 months been enough time for you to be thinking about it? Yeah, look, I am ready now. Like, yeah, yeah. I just can't put it aside forever. Yeah. Are you sure? Like, this is now the time for you? Yep. Mate, well, I'm glad you stopped thinking about it. So I'd get, you know, reach out today and chat to me. And that's usually the hardest step is reaching out. The rest is easy. I've done it with so many people before and I'll, I can show you the way. Okay. What you now can't say at the end when I go through prices is I want to think about it. So I've said to you, how long have you been thinking about it for? 12 months. I've asked why I've been thinking about it. You've given me the reason. I've said, is that enough time to be thinking about it? You said, yes. I said, are you sure? I challenged you. You went, yep. I said, well, I'm glad you've stopped thinking about it. So I had to reach out today. Reaching out is the hardest part. The rest is easy. Mm. Like I've brought it up, but it's just been a conversation. Yeah. So if you wait to the end, you've got to embrace objections. If you bring it up, it's just a conversation. Yeah. So now I never get the, I want to think about an objection because I would bring it up midway through my presentation. And in your mind, you've gone, yeah, it has been 12 months. I've been wanting to lose that weight. I've been putting it off. I can't put it off any longer and I've got to do it now. I've just helped you break through your own mental barriers, mm. which is the best thing I can ever, the best gift I can give you is stop you procrastinating because that's what's made you put on the weight in the first place. Yeah. So it's the gift of bringing up the objection helps them as well as helping you. So that's kind of an example how that can work. Yeah. Look, I think uh, anyone on this episode today, the value that we've got out of Pete, and we're going to go at the end to let him share a bit more about where he's, or what he's doing now with his sales accelerator and, and so on. So I want to thank Pete for sharing this. There is one more question around sales and I think it's, it's untapped and a lot of people don't ask the question, but what would you say and how would you help develop more referrals for business? It's referrals is so undervalued. Um, not, everyone talks about it, but no one's really doing it really, really well. It's very few people doing it really, really well. Um, you know, I learned referrals in my business because the first year I managed uh, was on the beach. And you might think that's pretty cool. It's in North Beach in, in Perth. Um, but it sucks business-wise because 180 degrees my population of fish, mm. right? So that I don't have 360-degree marketing. And we didn't have internet back in those days. So, it was, you know, it was fly drops. And so, you know, I, I lost half my market. Um, and I didn't have a really nice gym. If I'm honest, it was a crappy gym. <clears throat> had high ceilings, had cobwebs in the ceilings. Um, 
the equipment was old. It was all, you know, now you have nice cables and, you know, we had, you know, like a, think of a bike chain. If you're doing like a, a lap pull down machine or a leg extension, like it was all on chains and oily and like, it was just, it was not, I had clumps of metal, which I welded together on a bar, put on a scale was like 13 and a half kilos. I got the liquid paper, ran it down to 13 kilos, blow the liquid paper dry because it was paint liquid paper back in those days. And they were my dumbbells because I didn't have enough money to buy it. So it was just a, it was like a Rocky Balboa gym. It was just an old <laughs> school gym. So I couldn't put nice pictures up on a flyer to say, come to my gym because then you have a mismatch of expectation. They see this great flyer with all this new equipment. They go to the gym and look shitty. So mm. I figured, how can I get more leads that don't look at my gym and go, this looks like crap. I was like, well, if you're a member of my gym, Craig, you will know other people that, you know, a flashy gym isn't important. Or you'll go, you know what, it's not a flashy gym, but 20 kilo, I used to train my staff and my members. They say, I'll pay this equipment bit. I always said, mate, do you think your biceps care what your equipment look like? 20 kilos is 20 kilos. Your butt, your legs, your arms, it's 20 kilos. Just lift it. I see people complain saying there's no car parks. I have to walk, park, you know, down the road and walk a lot to get here. And I went, excuse me, you're coming to the gym to get fit and you're complaining about you have to walk five minutes to get here? I don't want to hear that again. Get in the gym and jump on the treadmill. Like, so for me, it was, it was um, understanding that um, I completely lost my train of thought now. <laughs> I was totally visualizing my old, my old gym and I completely lost, what was I talking about before? Referrals. That was the question. Referrals. Referrals. There you go. You got me back on track again. So yeah. I had a really old gym. So I, I had to rely on referrals. I trained my staff and my, my members. So you would go to someone and say, hey, come and train the gym with me. It's not a fancy gym, but you know what? Um, 20 kilos weighs 20 kilos. Get your butt in here. Mm. So with referrals, I, I think the most important thing I can give you in such a short period of time is when to get them. And the biggest time, the best time to get a referral is at the highest peak of emotion. So when your customer is at the highest peak of emotion, people buy emotionally, they justify logically right? People buy emotionally and they justify their decision logically. One logical way to justify an emotional decision, right, is to get other people to do what you just did. Mm. I know if I go to a, a cafe or I see a good movie, I will tell other people and I'll tell you to go to that, that restaurant. Then you'll ring me and go, oh, Pete, thanks so much. That was awesome. The experience was great. The food was great. So at the highest peak of emotion, and I love referring because I love you coming back and saying thank you. Not because you bribed me. I didn't, I didn't get bribed to refer you. I wanted you to have the experience that I had. And that makes me feel good. It, 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 it satisfies a part of my brain. So where's the first highest peak of emotion in the sales process? At point of sale, right? When you press that buy button, when you book that holiday, you put the deposit on a house or a car, when you buy those clothes, it's, it's when you get the adrenaline rush, the serotonin goes through your body. And all of a sudden you, you get this high peak. So at peak of at point of sale, when someone says I'm going to buy, is a great time a great time to implement a referral strategy. Mm. Where's the second next highest peak of emotion? Point of usage. When you use the product or the service, so I might buy something online, click a buy button, and I get this buzz of I just bought something. Then I get it and I unravel it and I pack it and I try it on or I eat it or I wear it or I watch it or I use it. So point of usage is the next highest peak of emotion. When you first use something the first time, you get excited by it. So you should have a referral strategy at point of usage. And then when's the next peak of emotion? Usually point of success or point of result. Because sometimes, you know, if you're implementing a, a CRM system, 
the success isn't going to come at usage, mm. right? So it's point of result. Um, so you want to then embed a referral strategy once I see a return on my investment. Mm. Once I've lost the weight and get a testimonial, that's a great time for a referral. Yeah. So I look for where are the highest peaks of emotion and I embed a referral strategy at those stages. And, you know, my business lived on referrals. And I used to have its KPI of three referrals for every sale. Mm. So every person who joins gives me three names, phone numbers, email addresses, and permission to contact them because you've already told them that I'm going to be calling them. You know, in the fitness industry, you know, I'd say, hey, you're entitled to bring um, five people to the gym for a free seven-day workout for family, friends, and work colleagues. Now, because I'm really busy, can I give you three right now? I'll give you a call in a couple weeks, give you the other two. So, you know, who else do you know that's similar to you that would like to train and, and get, in, get in shape for summer? Hit New Year to 2020 looking better than ever have. So I would, I would make referrals a giving, but I'll do it at point of sale, I'll do it at point of usage, and I'll do it at point of success. Um, and then you'll find that people who refer know other people that will refer. You create this chain of referrals. Yeah. So we used to get at least three referrals. That was my goal, in, in, um, to get three referrals for every sale. And it should be everyone's goal to get a referral at point of sale, a point of usage, and point of success. Yeah, look, I, I guess I, one strategy I learned in the fitness industry was just off reading the tipping, uh, the tipping point and in their free week trial, which is sort of like the first point of emotion when they're ready to join. I used to, I used to always ask the question, um, what's your favourite restaurant or what's your favourite massage person? So I, what, what I'll be doing there, if, if their response was, oh, you've got to go down to this cafe here, they make incredible coffee. They're... So I'm identifying that person as a referrer, but if they yeah. didn't give me that type of response, I never did. And then on the point of sale, I used to introduce a referral program because I go, this person here just told me the finer detail about um, there. So I used to like roll out what my referral program and I built an incredible referral based business just off that mm. strategy alone. And, it was just asking questions to see whether they were referrals. And I learned that from reading the book, the tipping point. So yep. um, last quick question about follow-up in sales. The importance of that is, you know, again, the fortune is in the follow-up and so mm. many people take no as a, a end of story. Um, you know, you would say that's pretty important for sales. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a saying, it's, it's not a no, it's just a not now. Um, but you've got to know your customer. You've got to get the reason, you've got to understand the reason why there's the no, but there is so much business growth opportunity missed because of lack of follow-up. You know, we're always chasing the new lead and the new marketing strategy and new opportunity where you've got someone who has followed you, who's reached out to you for whatever reason, it wasn't the right time. Um, it doesn't mean that in a week or two weeks or in a month or in three months or in six months, it's not going to be the right time then. And we just, we forget about those people. We spend all that money and time trying to get. So there are some rules with follow-up and probably the most important rule, I, I, I'm a weird guy. I love follow-up, right? Because I have success from follow-up. You know, people hate follow-up because they feel they're a nuisance. You know, I get people who go, Pete, how many times can I call someone before I'm annoying them? I'm like, well, if you're already thinking that, you're already annoying them. <laughs> so some of my, my follow-up rules are, number one, you never leave next, any type of communication whether it be written, you know, SMS, social media, email, verbal, you know, telephone, face-to-face, -face, Zoom, or face-to-face, -face. Never, leave, never leave any type of communication without 
a time, a day, a date, and a reason for the next contact, right? You always have a time, right? Three o'clock, a day, Monday, the date, the 3rd of January, right? But you don't say, I'll call you next week. There's 52 next weeks in a year. Which one's yours? Next week, there's seven days in next week, right? I don't, I'll call you around lunchtime tomorrow. Well, when's lunchtime for you? Between 12 and 2? Like, you know, there's 120 minutes in that time. You've got a 1 in 120 chance of getting in that one minute of calling them. So you're going to have a time, day, and a date. And then the most important thing is what's the reason for the next contact? You've got to set up a reason. If they're contacts in a day, in a week, in a month, in three months, in six months, create the reason for the contact. Because then you'll never have to bug anyone because they're expecting your call. So I'll, I will always leave every communication, the time, day, date, and reason for my next contact. And you make the reason in that call. The second thing that you need to do is your reason cannot be the objection you got for why they didn't buy in the first place. So if you said to me, Pete, you know, I've got to go speak to my partner. I'll say, great, no worries. I'll give you a call next week. No, it needs to be, okay, Craig, um, one, find out who the partner is, and you should have known that early in the process anyway. That should be part of your framework. We talked about early in the conversation. So you should never get a surprise. You should never present unless you know the decision makers are present for you wherever possible. Mm. But you are, you're making sure that you have a time, day, date, and reason, but you create the reason there. The reason can't be the objection. So if you said to me, I want to speak to my partner, I can't ring you up and go, hey, Craig, it's Pete here. How are you going? Have you had a chance to speak to your partner? Because mm. nine times out of ten, what do you get? Oh, I haven't had a chance to chat to him yet. Yeah. Um, Pete, I've just got to work out my finances. Let me get back to you. Okay, no worries. I'll give you a call next week. Ring, ring, Craig. Hey, going to Pete here. Have you had a chance to work out your finances? Oh, I'm still trying to make it work for you. Um, let me, can you send me a proposal? I want to read the proposal first. No worries. I'll ring you up a week later. Craig, have you had a chance to read the proposal? Oh, I'm still going through it. I haven't been able to share it with my business partner yet. When you ring with the objection, you get the objection. Mm. Right. So you can't, you've got to set up a reason before you get off the phone, but the reason can't be the objection. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. If, if you want to think about it and it's going to be like, Hey Craig, I can understand you want to think about it. Um, while you're here, is something I can help you think about. If it's not great, listen, you want, once you go and think about it, why don't you just write a list of all the questions that you've got because you're going to get some after we hang up on the phone and then let's chat when you're going to, um, why don't we chat on pick a time day date and then we'll go through those questions together. We'll work through them with you and we'll work out the best next steps in that call. How does that sound? Mm. And then I'm ringing to go through questions. I'm not ringing to see, have you had to think about it yet? Yeah. So you've just got to find a reason and you've got to create the reason before you get off the phone, get off the email, finish your face-to-face -face conversation, time, day, date, reason. The object, the reason cannot be the objection. Yeah. If you do that, you're going to have so much more success with your follow-up. But just set it up. If you set it up mm. and nurture people through the journey, they appreciate that. When you're just calling to see have you made a decision, that's when you become an annoying salesperson. Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, if you unpackage the last 30 minutes with Peter here, you've, you, know, you, you could 10x your sales without any doubt. So um, you want to thank Peter for that. I'm going to just change gears for one minute because it's a really important topic 
Um, and I've spent a lot of time with Peter and his wife and beautiful son. Uh, we've uh, had the pleasure of spending, you know, just downtime and quality time in Hawaii together. And his wife is an incredible entrepreneur and her own right as well. And I'll, I can't wait to get her on the show. Um, we've had a bit of a chat about that. But one thing I do want to talk about, because that's a bit about my values and that as well, and you've made a recent sea change, you know, high level career in Sydney, um, you know, moving, shaking, growth, high growth business with the entourage. Um, and you've, you know, you've flipped and, and moved back to where home is where the heart is and uh, spending quality time and wanting Braxton to grow up, spending more time with family. Can you talk a bit about that? And, um, you know, and, and even Annette as a high level entrepreneur and, you know, when you've got two people that are super successful like you both are like how's that living with someone that's sort of you know highly accomplished too yeah it's you know I, th I think life takes you down the path of being true to who you are and being true to your values and understanding what your values are and understanding what's important to you you know what i've realized now is that you can look past and 20 years is gone and it might be really hard to comprehend in the moment when you're a 20-something or a 30-something or even a 40-something, no matter what age you're in, um, especially having children, makes you realise how quick time goes, right? Because you've got a reference point of watching them grow. I know you've got that with, with your family. Um, but time disappears really, really quickly. And if you're not aligned and understand what your values are, then time will pass you living someone else's life instead of living your own. And I've done that many years. I've looked up and gone, what have I done in the last five years? Is this where I really want to be? Am I achieving what I want to achieve? Um, so it's having that consciousness about what's really important to you and why are you doing what you were doing? Sometimes we, we're chasing, we're chasing, we spend our whole life chasing, look after and I spent 20 years chasing. Yeah. I haven't spent 20 years living. Yeah. Um, so for me, it got to a stage where, you know, we had a, you know, very fortunate, have a beautiful son and, you know, love spending time together as family and it's like, you know, Nat and I sat down and had a chat and he goes, well, where do, can you see yourself living here and sitting your whole life? And what do we want for our family? What do we want for breaks? And what type of environment do we want for him? And, you know, family is one of my biggest values, if my num not my number one value. And, um, you know, and it's the youngest of five. Um, a lot of her family are spread out all through. Uh, the, you know, central New South Wales, uh, the Blue Mountains. So we don't get to see them as much as we like to. Plus a lot of Braxton's nephews and nieces are, you know, in their teens or in their 20s now because she's the youngest of, of, of five. Um, I think she's maybe 15 years younger than her older, older sister. So we didn't get to see them a lot. And, you know, I sat there and I thought, well, I grew up with, you know, three brothers, cousins, and I, I just, I just adore family. And we sat there and thought I'd, at one stage, I'd love to see what it's like living back in Perth. Um, my brother's got two kids here. My other brother's got two kids here. They're all under 10. And um, Annette, you know, we had this conversation. She goes, wow, okay. I've just, you know, we had a realisation and we had a flight booked uh, for my last year in December the 6th, my mum's 70th birthday, to visit her as a surprise. And Annette said, well, we've got, a flight booked, why don't we use that as our one-way ticket? And literally with six weeks to go, we kind of packed up house and moved house and had to sit down, had a conversation with Jack. It's about wanting to look at what is the lifestyle we have around us and what's important to us and what does that look like? Um, and my theory is when you've spent time mastering a craft and 
not focusing on the money, but focusing on who you're becoming, you can be successful anywhere in the world. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think I've never chased the money, but the money has come because of, I've focused on who I wanted to become and who I'm enabling rather than chasing the dollar. Mm. Um, so, you know, we sat there and thought we can be successful anywhere in the world, but, you know, you want to create the lifestyle and the environment you have is probably the biggest contributor to your success. So it was probably the hardest decision for Annette, leaving her family behind and the big city of Sydney and uh, the contacts and um, no doubt the bigger business pool that is perceived to be out there in the world that Sydney's the place to be. And we've moved over here. It's been literally 12 months, just over 12 months now. And, um, you know, it's not going to... And change doesn't come without challenges because that's what change creates, right? It's just meant to push you and stretch you. And um, it's it's meant to help you realize the next steps that you need to take so it's it's been a great learning curve for us in setting up a new new home setting up new friends setting up a new business community keeping contact with the current community you learn to leverage more effectively um you learn a lot about each other um, when you make changes as a family i think that strengthens you it makes you understand each other um so it's just yeah it's been a, a decision about lifestyle so you know we I love the entourage. It's in my blood. You know, I'm a shareholder of the entourage. I always will be. Um, I love the business. And I do that two or three days a week now. And I've set up, you know, sales is, is my genius zone. It's, I know when I help people, they get instantaneous results. It just, you know, we, I had a work, workshop a couple of months ago in the room, made over $2 million in two days. Um, just using the stuff on the spot. It just works instantly. So we, we launched the Sales Institute where people now can... Um, come in for a four-week program. Uh, I guide you through it personally and build your own scalable sales system so you can get replicable results that's not dependent just on you, but it's a process and system and structure. So we've been running that two or three days a week. Um, those programs have been so much more successful than I ever thought they would be. The results the members are getting are just crazy good. I'm so proud of them. Um, and it's made, making us realise that we can run you know, this business as well as enable the entourage anywhere in the world as long as you've got the right environment around you and you feed your soul. Um, the rest will fall into place. Wow. And yeah, that's such an important part. And for me, spending time with family and I was literally having this conversation with my brother-in-law yesterday. He said, I've been with your sister now. We've got four kids together. We've moved down here as a sea change ourselves for 20 years. He goes, where did that go? I still feel like I'm a model on a magazine. Um, but you know, that's how fast, uh, <laughs> time time does go so i was having that conversation literally 24 hours ago so just in wrapping up pete just a couple of rapid fire questions um do you have mm. a favorite book or podcast um a favorite book man that's a really good question i went through a stage where i read a book a week um so i've read i don't know how many how many books um what's the book that's probably made my biggest difference i I, listen podcast wise there's there's quite a few that i love to watch and it depends on how i feel at the time Uh, i will jump around podcasts i think you've got to you've got to look and align with what um feeds your soul at this stage so i i continually watch or listen to masters of scale with reed hoffman yeah um i love the structure of that podcast i love the um the narration the storytelling behind it, the stories behind it. Um, I also love Business Wars. It's probably one I listen to a lot now is Business Wars. Uh, it's probably one of my favourite podcasts at the moment because I, I, I love true stories. If I'm watching a movie, it's a true story. So I love seeing how businesses went head-to-head 
um, what made them win, the stories behind them. Again, it's narrated really, really well. So I'd probably say Business Wars is my favourite at the moment. Right. And what would you say the best piece of advice, whether it was from your father or working with Jack, what would be the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, I'll probably give you two. Um, my dad once told me that if you hate where you are, be the best at it. Right? I came home whinging one day about working at the deli and, you know, I wasn't getting paid much and it was hard and it was hard work. And he goes, if you don't like where you are, be great at it because you'll either get promoted or, or you'll get poached. Mm. Right. The best way to leave where you are is be the best at it. You, you will never take your next step until you're ready for the next step. You've got to be great at your current step to take the next step. So just, just obsess about being great at whatever you are doing. Um, and the second piece of, of information that I would give out is just always action precedes clarity. Right. The answer, you, you never get the perfect, the ducks will never line up in a row for you to make sure your decision you're making is going to be perfect. You need to take the step to get the clarity. I don't know what's through that door until I open and I walk through it. I can make all the stories in my head, um, but action precedes clarity. You've just got to do it first because if you're at a, at a fork in the road and you ask yourself, should I go left or should I go right? Now, some people will get out their GPS. Some people get out the weather map. Some people will, will call, phone a friend, right? but the most successful people in the world will just go either way. Mm. And if I go left and I realize a kilometer, down road, a kilometer down the road, there's a cliff face. What have I now just figured out? I figured out the right way to go. I figured out right was the best way to go. So now I'll just deviate and I get right. Well, the person at the beginning is still trying to figure out their GPS, their weather map, finding your friend, what should I pack? Like just act, right? Mm. And once you act, the clarity will come. Let's say left was the best way to go. Then you got there twice as fast. Right. So be comfortable to act. So action precedes clarity would be the second thing I would say that you've probably made the biggest difference to me. In regards to vision, I feel that you're right well and truly driving into your vision with, you know, a sea change, lifestyle change. Do you have a vision of where you see your business, yourself, family in the next three to five years? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I believe when people learn how to communicate effectively to other people, magic happens. And I think some, some of us, many of us are losing the ability in the art to communicate. You know, we're letting technology take over. Um, I, I've seen firsthand the life changing differences it makes when, you know, there's so many, my biggest fear for people out there is you are the world's best kept secret. Mm. You have a great product, you have a great service and no one knows about you because you don't know how to communicate. You don't know how to sell it. You don't know how to get people to want to buy what you have. So what I want to do is now that I've got the best sales formula, you know, the scalable sales system, the formula is that it works undeniably in any industry. I've just got thousands and thousands of people that have gone through the process and the program and it just works. And the results like, are instantaneous. Like you use the system, it works tomorrow on your very next phone call, right? I need to be able to get that in the hands of more people. So what I'm looking at doing now is um, taking, creating um, sales trainers, sales training ninjas, who can teach the scalable sales system. Um, and I'm going to personally mentor these people to use the IP that I have to go and train other people to run these programs all over the world. I yep. think if, if you can learn a non-pushy, a non-sleazy, a non-salesy way to talk about who you are, what you do, and get people to buy in on that, people to buy your products or services, it's going to enable so many people to have a better option in life than they have right now. 
So it's about building the Sales Institute and, and creating a, a model to get the IP that I've created to more hands to help more people, you know, avoid being the best kept secret out there. So that's kind of the business vision for the next three to five years is, is to take that global. Um, and personally, I just, I just want to um, spend more time with my family. You know, I, I want to spend more quality. I love being in Perth. I can drop my son off to school. I can pick him up from school. Um, I, I love teaching him. I coach his soccer team. I coach his basketball team. I, I love being in his life. Um, I want to spend more quality time with, with my wife. Our biggest challenge is that we, we love work. Um, and we, we do it so much. So it's about prioritizing. I believe you've got to be, I've got to be, we, my, my wife and I need to be great parents, great couple before we can be great parents. Yeah. I think the better we are in our relationship, the better role model will be for our family. So um, it's just better quality family time um, and creating a model which enables me to do that is, is the most important thing right now. So guys, uh, this episode has been um, uh, incredibly educational. Um, if you're in business or you're trying to get in business, the strategies that uh, Peter just shared with us, just the tip of the iceberg of his sales system. And I've spent a lot of time over the last three years and I know that I've improved a lot in that area for myself and business. And you, you, it, whether you like sales or not, you are selling, whether it's uh, getting your kids to pick up things, their toys, <laughs> or getting them to go to bed or yeah, whatever, yeah. you are a salesperson no matter what. So Pete, just uh, share a bit about where people can find more from you or, or um, yeah, just unload your details. Mate, you can find me on Facebook, um, just Peter Lakovich, just type that in there. You, you'll see it in there. Um, I'd say email me directly if you want to reach out any information. Just sell more at peterlakovich.com.au. And Peter spelt uniquely. It's P-E-T-A-R, not E-R. So it should be easy to remember. Lakovich, L-A-C-K-O-V-I-C. So just sell more at peterlakovich.com.au. Pop me an email. Um, connect with me on Facebook, um, Instagram, Peter underscore Lakovich. Um, just find me on social, um, but just email me directly. I'm, you know, I'm really big on connecting with you, um, sending you what you want, um, having a conversation about where you're at and how I can guide you and how I can help you. So pop me an email. Um, I'd love to, love to connect that way and organize the time to chat. Thanks a lot for today's session, Peter. I'm sure the audience are like beaming at the moment with their new skills and just hearing another success story and another person that's living their truest self, you know, moving uh, family and, and have an incredible family and, you know, certainly inspire me with what you're doing as well. So just like to thank you for coming on the show and uh, look forward to uh, connecting in person again very soon. Thanks, Peter. Can't wait, mate. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on the show and let's catch up real soon. We'll have to thank Mr. Peter Lakovic for that episode because it was a true training on sales and really how to elevate your sales skills. And if you adopt a number of the principles that Peter shared with you today, without doubt, you're going to get incredible results. If you like this episode, help us out and share it with your friends. Uh, we're trying to grow the One Shop Movement podcast. We want to help people and inspire people to live with passion and purpose. Go on to the usual iTunes and all the different uh, podcasting outlets. Give us ratings. Give us some support. Give us 
feedback on what you thought about today's show. So if you liked it, make sure that you share it with everyone, invite people to the group. We look forward to helping you elevate your skills, amplify your results. As I always say, you get one shot at life. Go out there and give it your best shot. Till next time, we will see you all very soon.